Our scripture this morning is from Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through Mark chapter 3, verse 6. And before we read it together, I want to just kind of reorient us to what's going on. Um, remember, we are in the early part of Jesus' ministry. He's, he's going throughout Galilee. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's, he's healing the sick. He's casting out demons that have been afflicting people. He's growing in popularity. And is he, uh, he's also beginning to identify and call his disciples. But there's also mounting opposition growing uh, from the scribes and the Pharisees who were the religious leaders of his day. Um, Mark's actually recorded for us a series of five conflicts, five episodes in which the Pharisees confront Jesus. It starts off with a bang back in Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. You know, Jesus uh, is teaching in a home and uh, the, the four men bring a paralytic and remember they dig through the roof and lower the paralytic down and, and Jesus first says to him, your sins are forgiven and then he heals him and the Pharisees of course are all upset because they recognize that Jesus is claiming to be God and he's claiming to be able to forgive sins and so essentially their question there, the thing that really irks them is who do you think you are? Are claiming to be God by forgiving this man's sin. And then the next episode, the next part of the text where this happens is in uh, chapter 2 verses 13 through 17. Jesus is going along. He, he comes across Levi. Levi is a tax collector. People didn't like the tax collectors. The tax collectors were Jewish people who were collecting taxes from their own people to give to the, the Roman overlords, the Roman occupiers. So that was bad enough. But not only that, they were actually keeping part of the income for themselves. So they would seek to collect more than what they were due so they could line their own pockets. So despised group of people. Jesus comes along. He sees Levi. He calls Levi to be one of his disciples. And then he goes to Levi's house and he, you know, Levi invites all of his, his friends and, and others and, and Jesus is there feasting with them. He's there having this meal with them. And the Pharisees are like, Jesus, who do you think you are eating with people like that? You're supposed to be a Pharisee. People are looking at, you're supposed to be a religious leader. You're supposed to be a rabbi. How could you eat with people like that? And then the next passage is the passage that we looked at last week. You know, Jesus may have still been at the feast at Levi's house when these Pharisees come along and say, wait, 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 wait a minute. If you were truly religious, if you really loved God, you would be characterized, you and your disciples, by fasting, not feasting. So why is it, Jesus, that you and your disciples are feasting when they should be fasting. And now we come to our, uh, these last two episodes for this morning that really boil down to the issue of the Sabbath and how it should be observed. Now the Sabbath, remember, was that 24-hour day that was given by God to his people that was to be woven into the weekly rhythm of their life together. And the issue here in these two episodes really boils down to this. The Pharisees have said the Sabbath is all about keeping the rules. And Jesus is saying, no, the Sabbath is all about rest. Rest. Few of us get it. 
Even when we sleep, we're fitful. We spend most of our days with this underlying anxiety uh, that pops up in the way in which we think about our work or the way in which we think about our families, the way in which we think about our relationship with God, like anxious about what it means to be in a relationship with God. Are we doing enough? So there's this underlying religious anxiety, this underlying uh, anxiety that we all experience right now during the time of this uh, COVID crisis and the way in which we think about our health and the way in which we think about our financial security. There's just this underlying web of anxiety in our hearts. Uh, it reminds me of something that may be growing in your gardens right now, um, this despicable weed that is bindweed. It's not like your everyday weed. Most weeds, you know, they kind of pop up and they have their individual root system and you can just kind of gently pull the weed before it gets too deep and bring, or too tall, and you can bring the, the roots up with it. Bindweed isn't like that. Bindweed is characterized by this interconnected web of, of roots, this interconnected root system from which all the various weeds kind of pop up. And so you can't just pull one and then eliminate the spread of the, of the weeds to all kinds of different places throughout your garden. The, the root system will continue to spread. Anxiety is like an interconnected root system in the soil of our souls that pops up in various parts of the garden it, that is your life. All the time. And the only way to really deal with it is to get down to the root system. Well, Jesus, when he says the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath, is telling us that one of the ways that God has provided, one of the things that God has given to us in order to get at the root system is the weekly Sabbath. This weekly invitation to rest. This weekly gift that he's given his people. So three things we're going to see from the text. First, the purpose of the Sabbath. Second, the corruption of the Sabbath. And then third, how to enter the rest of the Sabbath. But first, let's take a look at God's word. Mark chapter 2, verse 23 through Mark chapter 3, verse 6. Hear the word of God. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields... And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, 
and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. So first, the purpose of the Sabbath. And there's three texts that we need to review from the Old Testament that really help us get at what the Sabbath is all about. And the first is right at the beginning, at the beginning of Genesis chapter 2. So you remember, after God had created everything in Genesis chapter 1, you get to Genesis chapter 2 and you read this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So in Genesis 1, you get the six days of creation, and whether you see those as six literal 24-hour days or six days that are analogous to our work days, God's work days, the bottom line is on the seventh day, God rested from the work he had done. Now, was God tired? No. God was setting a pattern. He was setting a rhythm for his people to follow. And then you get to Exodus chapter 20. Now, Exodus chapter 20 is when God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, to Moses to give to the people. And so in Exodus chapter 20, you read about the Sabbath. It's the fourth commandment. And so in the fourth commandment, let's, let's read it if you have your, uh, the Bible open in front of you. Um, Exodus chapter 20 verse 8 Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And then this is actually the longest commandment in all the Ten Commandments because it goes on to really drive home how much God wants his people and everyone associated with his people to be able to rest. And so he goes on and says, On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who was within your gates. And then in verse 11, it grounds this command in God's work of creation. Verse 11, Exodus chapter 20. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. It's a gift. And made it holy. So Genesis 2, we get God setting this pattern, establishing this rhythm for us to incorporate into our lives. Exodus 20, it's one of the top ten. It's one of the Ten Commandments. God is so concerned that we enjoy this gift of Sabbath that he commands it. And then points to the foundation, the, the motive, the reason being the pattern that God has set in creation himself. And then you get to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, you may know this. You read about the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But that isn't talking about the same time in, uh, in history. In Exodus chapter 20, you have God speaking to Moses right after the people had come out of Egypt. And he gives them his law. And then you remember that they failed to go in and into the land of Canaan. They didn't trust God to make a way for them. And so, you know, God sends them out into the wilderness. They wander for 40 years. And all the adults who were part of the exodus, all the adults who came out, died off. And so in Deuteronomy, you have 
Moses standing before what are now the children who have grown up and he's reiterating for them God's law. So Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments again in Deuteronomy 5, but there's a twist that I want you to hear at the end of the fourth commandment in Deuteronomy 5. So let me read it. Deuteronomy 5 verse 12 and following, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Then here's the grounding principle. Here's the reason. It's not God's creative work. It's God's redemptive work. It's his rescue. So listen to what's said. This is in verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And so you have this this gift that is the Sabbath that is grounded in God's pattern that he set for his people. God's creative work, he worked six days and on the seventh day he rested. We're to work six days and rest on the seventh day. That gets turns around for Christians who worship on the Lord's day, the first day of the week, but applies nonetheless to us as well. And then Deuteronomy 5 grounds it in God's work of redemption, this great rescue mission by which he rescued people from slavery. The Israelites from slavery in Egypt Christians everywhere from slavery to sin. So we can piece these things together and we can see why the Sabbath was given. We can really outline five things that the Sabbath uh, provides for us that is a benefit to us if we will, again, accept this invitation and then open up this great gift that is the Sabbath. The first is quite simply so that we can rest. Right? I mean, God gave the Sabbath so that we can rest. The Jews had been literal slaves in Egypt. They had a literal pharaoh over them saying, you've got to keep working. You cannot stop. We live in a culture that expects a kind of slavery to work. You've, You've got to be doing. You've got to be working. Or who are you? There's this cultural pharaoh, if you will. But we all as individuals so readily comply. We've got this inner pharaoh in our hearts that says, who are you? If you're not working. I mean, if you pause even for a day, that's chipping away at your identity. You can't possibly rest. Well, God gave the Sabbath so that we could rest. So we can rest. That's one reason why the Sabbath is such a great gift. But, but also, it gives us an opportunity to, to delight in God's creation. On the seventh day, Genesis tells us that he looked over all that he had made and said, It is good. Sabbath gives us an opportunity to look over all that God has made and agree with him. It's good. Yet we, we go through our lives so busy, we never stop to smell the proverbial roses, right? We never slow down to look at the sky. I, I heard about one, um, one guy, Andy uh, Crouch, who has this rhythm, this pattern in his life, this kind of ritual, in which he says that before, when he gets up in the morning, before he opens up a screen or looks at a computer, he goes outside and looks at the sky. What a great way to, re- to reorient ourselves to the goodness of God's creation. God did that on 
His Sabbath, on his seventh day, he looked out over all that he had made and said that it's good. Sabbath is an invitation to pause and look over all that God has made and declare it to be good, to agree with God that he did good. So, we can rest. That's a gift. So we can delight in God's good creation. Third, so that we can delight and enjoy uh, God's presence in worship. I mean, this is really the heart of the Sabbath. God's people drawing near to him in worship. I love the way Ed Clowney put it. I want to recommend a book to you. Ed Clowney's book, How Jesus Transforms the Ten Commandments. Great book to pick up and read if you can. He writes this. Well, I know you can if you have time. (laughs) Uh, Ed Clowney, How Jesus Transforms the Ten Commandments, writes this. In his rest, God is reveling in the goodness of his creation and especially in the goodness of fellowship with those he created in his own image. The Sabbath marks the fact that God delights in the presence of his people. So this isn't God standing off from afar and saying, Wow, great creation. I did well. He's actually dwelling with his people and saying, I am so glad to be with you. Now God's with us every day, right? But today is a day, the Sabbath is a day when God's people can gather together and what an ache it is that we're not together right now. There's this absence, there's this sense of loss and it's right that there is. But the Lord's day is a day in which we can gather together and enjoy together the presence of God in worship as he is with us by his spirit, as he speaks to us through his word, as he receives the offering of our praise and our prayers with gladness because he delights to be with his people. The Sabbath is also a day that sets us apart from the rest of creation, from the rest of our culture. It absolutely set Israel apart from the nations around them. They lived in a time where for most people, it was day-to-day existence. You had to work one day in order to eat the next day. And that had to be the pattern, that had to be the rhythm of their lives. God came in and said, I want to break up that rhythm. If you will trust me, I will provide what you need on that day that follows the day you didn't work. And it set them apart. You could picture people around them saying, how is it that you're going to survive if you don't work? And, and God says to his people, trust me, I will provide. The Sabbath sets us apart as well. People say this, ask the same question, right? Culturally, they ask the same question. How are you going to survive if you don't work? Now, in a lot of parts of the, a lot of places throughout the world and in parts of our own country, that is a question of scarcity. How are you going to survive if you don't work? You need that income to feed your family. For most of us in the West, however, it's not an issue of scarcity. It's an issue of identity. How are you going to survive if you don't work? Who are you if you stop working? And God is saying to all of us now, like he said to the people of Israel then, trust me. I will provide. Trust me, you will find your identity in me, not in your work. Look to God, the Sabbath says, for your identity and your meaning. The Sabbath is also a way to point to a greater rest 
that is to come. Again, back in Deuteronomy chapter 5, there's this reminder, this grounding of this practice of the Sabbath in the redemption, in the rescue of God's people from Israel. But that's not actually distinct just to Deuteronomy chapter 5, because in the prologue to Exodus 20, in the prologue to Deuteronomy 5, the giving of the Ten Commandments does not begin with commandment. It doesn't begin with law. It begins with grace. In both places, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Grace! And then, you shall have no other God before me. Commandments begin. So the Sabbath itself, along with all the Ten Commandments, are things that flow out of God's gracious rescue of his people. And so Sabbath is, in particular, something that points toward This rescue that is our salvation, the delivery from Egypt, just points us toward. It's a a preview of this greater deliverance from bondage to sin. And it anticipates a greater eternal rest that is to come. When we enter not into a land that is Canaan, but when we enter into our full inheritance of enjoying what it means to be sons and daughters of the living God on an earth that he has remade entirely. So it's a sign also of a greater rest to come. So just, I mean, just think about all these things that are good about the Sabbath. It's a day to rest from our work. It's a day to delight in God's good creation. It's a day to draw near to Him in worship. It's a day that, that sets ourselves apart from the rest of the world. And it's a day that itself points to a greater rest that is to come. All of it serves to reinforce something that we need to remember. That Jesus is on his throne. He reigns. He's good. He's in control. He can be trusted. So, you can understand why Jesus got so angry with the Pharisees in Mark chapter 2 and in Mark chapter 3. So let's go back to the text now. Let me reread for us this first episode at the end of Mark chapter 2. So one Sabbath. He was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Okay, so what's going on? Jesus and his disciples are hungry. They're walking along. They come across a, uh, a field. And they begin to pluck some of the heads of grain so they have something to eat. And the Pharisees jump in right away and say, you're breaking the rules. Better, you're breaking our rules. Because they were their rules. It wasn't like God had said the things that they are about to say. God had actually made provision for the very thing that that Jesus and his disciples were doing. But the Pharisees, their whole modus operandi, the thing they did was add, you know, kind of buffers to the law of God. They were really zealous in a very self-righteous way to make sure that they didn't do anything to disobey God's law. And so they, they built fences around it. They built additional layers of commandments. Now, what may have started off as a real zeal to honor God became something that they boasted in. Look at how far we go to obey God. We go so much further than any of you do. So, when it comes to the Sabbath, they had their set of rules. The Pharisees had actually added 39 different rules to the Sabbath. Now think again about the Sabbath command in Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20. It's all about providing rest. 
not just for the people of Israel, but, but for the sojourners, people from other lands that were just passing through and, and needed to eat uh, and, and needed to be able to rest and for, the, for the, the livestock even, right? So it's a good commandment. The Pharisees add these layers of rules and expectations. So one of them on the Sabbath had to do with traveling, right? You can't travel. And they decided that if you, if you walked 1,999 steps, you were okay. You weren't breaking the Sabbath. But if you walked one additional step, you were sinning, you had violated the Sabbath. Again, that's no, you're not going to find that in the Old Testament. You find that when you read the rabbinic literature, when you read all the things that the Pharisees did to add to the law of God. What's sad is that so many of us as Christians take up that same mentality when it comes to God's law. We don't even bother to understand how good God's law is. We add these rules and regulations and then people rightly look at us the way we look at these Pharisees and say, you're crazy. But let's come back to the text. So 39 different activities that the Pharisees said you couldn't do. Not walking more than 1,999 paces was one of them. They don't actually turn on Jesus' disciples over that one, they zero in on this idea of working. So Deuteronomy chapter 23, again, God's giving his law to his people, and what he says is, if you are hungry, or if anyone, any sojourner, anyone who's passing through is hungry, it is perfectly okay for them to, as they're passing by someone's field, no matter whose field it is, to pluck some of the heads of grain so they can eat. Right? To, to take a little bit for themselves because God cares about people. He doesn't want them to be hungry. So that's Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 34 is more um, application concerning the Sabbath commandment. God knowing that his people would be looking for ways to work, looking ex for excuses to not rest, which is crazy, but we do it. Deuteronomy chapter 34, God says, listen, I, I want you to rest on the Sabbath. That includes the times when you feel most anxious about working, plowing, and harvesting. Those times when you are absolutely the busiest as an agrarian society, yes, even there I want you to trust me, I want you to rest. So Deuteronomy 23, it's okay to pluck some heads of grain and eat. Deuteronomy 34, I don't, I don't want you harvesting, I don't want you plowing on the Sabbath. Trust me, you can rest. Well, the Pharisees... Take those two things and completely jumble them up by adding a law that essentially they say here to Jesus, Jesus, they're plucking heads of grain, that's harvesting. They should not be harvesting on the Sabbath, they're sinning. And I picture Jesus kind of looking at them like, and then he, and then he tells the story. He reminds them of David. So picking up in verse 25, and he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God. And then he goes on and, and retells the story from 1 Samuel chapter 21 when David and his companions are on the run, right? They're being chased down. They're being pursued. They're hungry and they go into the house of God and they take some of the, the show bread, the bread of presence, bread that had been consecrated to God, and they did something that they weren't supposed to do. They ate it because they were hungry. And Jesus kind of makes this argument from the greater to the lesser. He, he says, listen, if God wasn't upset with them for doing that, do you really think that God would be upset with my disciples for 
doing something that God's law actually permits, which is plucking heads of grain in order to keep from starving. The principle underneath both is God cares about people. He wants them to be fed. And so to pluck those heads of grain is not, O Pharisees, harvesting. It's actually a provision from God for the good of people. So then the second episode, you pick it back up in uh, chapter 3. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now you might think, what in the world is wrong with healing someone on the Sabbath? Well, the Pharisees said, it's absolutely wrong to heal on the Sabbath. There's a, a rabbi by the name of Shemai who said, actually he said this, there should be no praying for or visiting the sick on the Sabbath because the, the Sabbath is supposed to be a day marked by joy. Can you imagine? So don't pray for people on the Sabbath. Don't, don't go do good to someone else on the Sabbath. Do that some other day. Today's the day when we push all that aside, try not to think about it, and just focus on joy. And so I picture Jesus going, What? When these Pharisees say, are you going to actually heal him? Are you going to do what our rules and regulations, not God's law, but our rules and regulations forbid on the Sabbath? Are you actually going to do that? And so Jesus, I love it, because he actually doesn't do anything that could be constituted as violating these false rules and regulations that they had constructed. He simply speaks. Surely talking is not forbidden on the Sabbath. He says to the man, Come over here. And then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. Surely that's not forbidden. The man does it. Surely he's not violating the Sabbath by stretching out his hand. And his hand is healed. This man who had been at synagogue probably every week, this man who raised his hands in worship every week, this man who was probably judged because of that withered hand that they saw because when people were sick or when people were maimed, they were often seen as being cursed by God like they did something or their parents did something to bring this upon them. So this man who may have even been excluded, probably was in some way on, on Sunday, kind of pushed off to the side. We don't really want to look at him. And feeling that sense of shame, he gets a foretaste of the healing that is to come in that eternal Sabbath when Jesus Christ returns to make all things new. And the Pharisees don't get it. They don't get it. Jesus presents to them what should have been an obvious answer. He asked the question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? The obvious answer would be, of course it's lawful to save a life. Of course it's lawful to do good. That's exactly what God would want. But they were silent. And so Jesus looked at them with anger. Chapter 3, verse 5. And he looked at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart we can understand why he was angry. In both these instances, in both of these episodes, they were completely missing the point of the Sabbath. Their hearts were hard. There was no love for people. There was, there was no love for this man with a withered hand, which was, the, James tells us in the New Testament, evidence of the fact that they lacked love for God. 
What the Sabbath was meant to be, a preview of the healing of the kingdom. What the Sabbath was meant to be, which was a day for rest, for them began a day, became a day for additional layers of work. So the question could be asked, you know, what's more shriveled? That man's hand or their hearts? Now before we're too quick to judge, we need to ask if we act the same way. We need to ask if we make the Sabbath about work and not rest. We need to ask if we make the Sabbath about us and not about others. You see, we all have an inner Pharisee. He shares a duplex with our inner Pharaoh. They get along really well together. And the inner Pharisee says, you can't stop working. You can't rest. That inner Pharisee can take a a religious form or it can take a cultural form. The religious form says, you've got to keep working in order to be accepted by God. Sure, you put your faith in Jesus Christ so your sins can be forgiven, but that's not enough. God expects you to work, to earn it, to prove it, that you really mean it. That's the inner religious Pharisee that's always knocking on the door of our heart saying, keep working. The inner cultural Pharisee says, you've got to keep working in order to be accepted by your boss, or in order to be accepted by your teacher, or in order to be accepted by your peers, or in order to be accepted by your parents. Whether it's a religious Pharisee or a cultural Pharisee, there's still this drive to keep working, to not rest. And so when Jesus comes along and says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, at the end of chapter 2, verse 29, 28, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, he is not just saying, I have the right to dictate what the Sabbath is and isn't because he's God. He is also saying, I am the one in which you find Sabbath rest. So third, how do we enter Sabbath rest? You enter the rest of the Sabbath by resting in the Lord of the Sabbath. By resting in Jesus, by abiding in Him, which is what he tells us in John John chapter 15. We abide in Him and we bear much fruit. It's not about works in order to merit God's grace. It's about having received God's grace and being united to Jesus Christ, abiding in Him and enjoying His rest. Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying, I'm everything the Sabbath pointed toward. All the benefits of the Sabbath are enjoyed as you abide in me. All the rest that you need is found in me. I'm the source of the rest you need. How do we know we can find our rest in Jesus? It's because Jesus has rescued and Jesus has rested. At the end of the work of creation, the Lord God said, it is finished, and he rested. And Jesus has come to create a new people, a people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, a people that will be gathered together before his throne, as we saw in the call to worship, offering him praise and worship. That creation is a finished work. And so Jesus looks out over his creation, and he rests. We rest in him. At the end of his great work of redemption, at the end of his great rescue mission, Jesus said, it is finished from the cross. And so we can rest. 
In fact, that restlessness that we feel, Jesus was restless in a way that we've never known. Tim Keller points this out in his commentary on Mark. He says this, Jesus experienced the restlessness of separation from God so that through faith in him, we can have the deep rest that comes from knowing we are with him, that he'll never forsake us, and he will in the end bring us home. And so the application as we wrap this up is really simple. Accept the invitation. Accept the Sabbath invitation. Accept the invitation to be with Jesus. And then open the gift. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, Jesus says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. So if you're watching right now and you are not someone, you're someone who has never put their trust in Jesus Christ, or you know you're not a Christian, receive the invitation. Jesus is saying to you, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. I want a relationship with you. Will you open up to me? Will you put your trust in me? And if that's something you're ready to do right now, I do hope that you will send us an email at the church. I would love to have a time to connect with you. FaceTime, Zoom, whatever we need to do since we can't be together. I would love to begin to talk to you about what it means to accept this invitation and begin to experience now the rest that those who are in Jesus will experience forever. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. But don't forget the context. Revelation 3 is given to churches. Jesus is saying to Christians, if anyone hears my voice, if if any of you Christians who have lost the reality of what it means to enjoy my presence, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me, which is just a way of saying enjoy deep fellowship, deep union with him. And so, Christians, accept the invitation. The Sabbath is a day in which we can uniquely, of course every day, but uniquely on this day, enter into God's presence and then open up the gift. Open the gift. Let this be the day that is in fact the Lord's day. A day in which we delight in his presence. A day in which we experience the freedom we have in him. A day in which we enjoy a foretaste of the eternal rest that is to come. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for preserving for us the gospel of Mark, for giving us an opportunity to read it and to study it, but also for giving us your spirit so that the truths that are here can be sealed to our hearts. We ask that you would in fact do that, Lord, that that in this instance, as we study this passage and, and think about the Sabbath, you would help us to set aside our profound busyness so that we can enter into your rest and enjoy the, the disintegration of that interconnected web in our hearts that is anxiety and come before you and enjoy the rest that you provide. And we ask this in Jesus' name because Jesus is our rest and he alone can secure it for us. Amen.